0: Hope you guys are getting used to a few of the changes around here with the order of service and everything and notice the slides with um, the announcements on them. There was one about youth group, um, for any kids. Whoa, youth group! Yeah, yeah. And that's the one thing we didn't have on there was place. I assume that's gonna be at your house, or do you have that here at church? Okay, it's here at church. It'll That's the gonna be here. Okay. Okay, Okay. so parents, keep that in mind. Encourage your teens to make it out to that and to invite a friend. Why don't we start with a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you, and we thank you for the warm fellowship, um, the time of worship that we had just adoring you this morning. It's been awesome. Um, we love you, God, and we ask that you would teach us as we encounter your word today that we might become more like you. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. Uh, I was thinking back this last week just over all that God has provided. Uh, my wife and I have talked to each other a few times. We're just overwhelmed with the way that you as a church have lavished gifts on us and blessed us during our time of transitioning here and moving into our home. And we are so thankful and so grateful. And as I was thinking about how God has provided, um, we were going to leave the life of Abraham and move on to a couple other things. Yeah, I'm glad you're thinking about this stuff. Thank you. And... Uh, uh, I realized they couldn't leave behind the life of Abraham without discussing discussing further his faith that God would provide. And we've kind of touched that, but that hasn't been the topic of our discussion. And so I wanted to focus on that today. Last week I was listening to Caleb, and uh, a woman shared this testimony. Some of you may have heard it, and and I I didn't listen closely, so hopefully I'm getting any details wrong. She had discovered a note on her doorstep that indicated a neighbor she knew was contemplating suicide. And it asked her to care for her dog if something happened. Okay? Uh, Immediately, this woman notified the police and they began a search for this girl. The woman prayed in faith that God would help her find this girl before it was too late and that she would have a chance to share with this girl about Christ. She got on her horse and began to search through a large area of woods. It was kind of like looking for a needle in a haystack. She just had a feeling that this is the area to look, okay? And uh, as she was riding on her horse and searching, she heard some groans from a bush. She found the girl and was able to get her to a hospital on time. And this girl is planning to attend church with that woman today. 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 So keep that in mind in your prayers, that this girl who was going to take her own life would come to know Christ's love. Um, Praying in faith, believing that God will provide. What astonished me about this story was the woman's faith in her prayer and in her searching. She didn't know this girl personally or know exactly where to look. Some might have considered it an impossible search. But she set out in prayer, and God led her, and God answered her prayer. Some of you may be wondering, how will you pay the next bill? How will you afford to be a stay-at-home mom if that's what you feel God leading you to do? Uh, How will you forgive so-and-so who's wronged you? Can God heal your marriage? Can God help you with problems or addictions in your life? Can he give you peace during just the chaos and busyness and hecticness of life that we all get caught up into? Church family, I just want to challenge us today. Do we still believe that God answers prayer? Do we trust that He will provide whatever it is we ask according to His wisdom and His will? Let's go to Genesis chapter 24, if you would, with me. You can turn in your Bibles. We're going to read verses 1 through 7. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household, who had charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh, that I may make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell, but will go to my country and my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. I just want to give you a little bit of context where we've been going. Abraham has already shown us that he believes God will provide. Time and again we have seen that in his journey of faith. He went to a new land, not knowing what he would need or what he would encounter, but he believed God would take care of him in that journey. He allowed Lot to choose the best land. Remember that? Trusting that God had promised him the land and waiting for God's time for that. Okay. He did not accept the gifts of the king of Sodom. We didn't cover that part of the passage. King of Sodom offered some gifts to him. He did not accept those because God had promised to bless him and make his name great and give him an everlasting inheritance. And so Abraham waited and trusted in God to provide that. Okay? He believed God at his word when he said that he would provide an heir through Sarah, even though she was barren and old. And we saw that. He believed that, and then it says Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Okay? Then we also saw in the offering of Isaac where Abraham says, God himself will provide a lamb. And then the phrase came from that, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Abraham had a faith that God would provide. In between uh, the story of Isaac and now, Sarah had passed away, and God provided a burial ground for her and her descendants in the promised land. So at this point, Abraham had been kind of a nomad living on the edge of the promised land. And now because Sarah's death, um, he goes and he asks, I think the Hittites, I have to look back and check, he asks some of the local people for permission to bury Sarah. And uh, they, they give him this plot of land. And so he has this plot of land and this burial grave in the promised land of Canaan. Alright? So God provided that. And now, at the end of Abraham's life, we see a beautiful picture of Abraham's unwavering faith and belief that God will provide a wife from among his own people for Isaac. So we're going to go to verses 1 through 4. Abraham was old, well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Okay, and we read part of that passage earlier. This is kind of Abraham's, in my mind, his last thoughts. And what are his last thoughts focused on in his life? They're focused on the promise that God had made him. They're focused on God's promise. It says here in the passage he was well advanced in years, and right after this passage in Genesis 24, we see a summary of the rest of Abraham's life and his passing away. So these are kind of his last focused thoughts and words his last demonstration of faith that we get to see, okay? Many things he could be thinking about towards the end of his life, but his focus remains remains steadfast on the promise of God and how that may be affected by his own son's choices. Now, you've got to remember a couple things here. Abraham is around 140 years old at this time. His son Isaac is around 40 years old. And he should be very anxious to marry and begin his own family. Um, Previous to this, Ishmael, had been sent away and had married an Egyptian wife. Okay, so some of these things have to be on Abraham's mind, okay? Isaac should be tempted, if he's any man like many of us, he would be tempted by the available and less pure Canaanite women that are living all around them at this time and the desire to, to get married and to have that wife. Um, and so we have to note that there's some, an example of purity here from Isaac. And yet there's a temptation that is present. Um, and in the culture today, I was thinking about this, our culture says, let's try it before we buy it. Let's live together, let's see if it works. If it works, then, then, then we'll try it out. Now, we all know the statistics, that's actually um, much more chance of divorce if you live together first than if you commit to marriage and do that first. Okay, but anyway, here we see an example of Isaac waiting, of Abraham being conscious of, okay, my son's over an age of being concerned about a wife, He's got to be tempted by the women around him, and I need to be concerned about finding him, helping him find a godly wife. Okay? And about the promise that God has made. So Abraham makes a plea to his servant. Um, the servant mentioned here, it says, is the eldest servant. If you guys remember back, we talked about Eliezer, and Abraham was concerned when, when he didn't have an heir yet that Eliezer was going to inherit all of his belongings and and that his family name would stop because he didn't have an heir yet because he was the eldest servant. So here we can assume that this is still Eliezer. So I'm going to throw his name in here as the eldest servant of the house of Abraham. Okay, And so he makes a plea to his servant. Okay, There's a couple th- important things that we need to note here. I think there was a special relationship between Abraham and Eliezer. They had been through a lot together over the years. And here Abraham says, "Put your hand under my thigh," and this is a, a customary oath that w- they would take in that day. And what it means is, if this oath is not fulfilled, the children of my loin, the children of my loin, have the right to take vengeance on your act of disloyalty. Okay, so in the culture, this was a very important promise that um, Abraham's children have the right to take vengeance on him if he did not keep it. Okay, the second thing we need to notice here is he says, swear by the Lord. And I think that's really important because I think Eliezer at this point knows of Abraham's deep relationship with the Lord. He's seen some of the experiences that Abraham has gone through and how passionate Abraham is about following God. And so when Abraham says, swear by the Lord, this is a serious and urgent request by Abraham. And what does he say? He says, go to... Let's look at this, verse 4. Go to my country and to my kindred and take a wife for my son Isaac. If you guys remember the map that we saw, um, it was a long journey from Ur to Haran and then from Haran down to Canaan. A long journey that they had been on. And here Abraham is saying to his servant, I want you to make that journey back to, we're assuming from the context it's Haran, I want you to make the journey back to Haran to where my family and kindred are and find a wife for my daughter. Okay, this is a, a long journey. This is a, this is a big asking. In Papua New Guinea, they say asking when you're, when you're requesting something from someone, like, would you do me a favor? Okay, this is a big asking. All right? Um, the second thing we see here, he knows that if Isaac marries a Canaanite, Okay, why did he say, my country, my kindred? He knows that if Isaac marries a Canaanite, he will be tempted to pursue other gods because the Canaanites were worshiping other gods. And he's concerned about Isaac following after God. He's concerned about the promise. Remember the promise that God made. Okay? If Isaac marries a Canaanite wife, he would have fallen outside of the covenant that God made. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. Right? And the inheritance that he had planned. Another thing to note is back in Genesis 9, God put a curse, he placed a curse on the Canaanites, on Canaan and his descendants. Okay? But God has placed a blessing on Abraham and his descendants. And so if Isaac married a Canaanite wife, he would, in a sense, be placing himself, marrying into and placing himself under a curse instead of under God's blessing that was a part of this promise made to Abraham So those are important things to understand when we look at why is Abraham so concerned about this, so concerned about him going back and getting a wife from his country and his kindred. Remember, we talked about God has been interacting with the line of Abraham all the way back to Adam in a personal relationship way. And so in Abraham's heart, he wants to see Isaac marry and stay within that line where God has been interacting and God has been involved. And there's a history of God. There's potential problems that the servant comes up with. Verses 5 and 6 you'll notice that he says the servant said to him perhaps the woman may not be willing to follow me to this land. Must I then take your son back to the land from which you came? So there's two problems that the servant foresees. First of all, what if she won't come back with me? And this makes a lot of sense because Um, First of all, he's going to journey back to Haran, 500-plus miles, to an unfamiliar place in hopes of finding Abraham's kin and finding a woman who's willing to come back with him, a complete stranger, all the way back to marry a complete stranger. I mean, if you think about this situation, what woman would say, yeah, yeah, I'll go with you and uh, marry this guy, whoever he is. I mean, that's not logical. Okay, so the servant's thinking about this. What if she won't come back to me? I'm just a servant. Why would she even listen to me? And that kind of leads into his next thought. Wouldn't it help to bring your son along with me? Okay, I was thinking about this. His relatives back in Haran, over 500 miles away, do you think they'd even heard that Isaac was born? I don't know how fast news traveled back then. I don't know if anybody there knew of Isaac, I don't even know if they knew of Ishmael and his birth, because all of this happened after Abraham left the land of Haran. And so here he's going to send this servant, and this servant's going to come and claim, um, yeah, Abraham's son Isaac. Oh, uh, Abraham's is a son? You know, he wants a wife. You know, so, so you can see where the servant is like, wouldn't it help to bring your son? And he could say, hey, I'm Abraham's son. I can tell you a bunch of stuff about Abraham, so you believe me, or something like that, um, to get his wife. So the servant has some logical questions. And then we see Abraham's concern. He says, see to it that you do not take my son back there. That's the next part, actually. We see a faith perspective from Abraham, verses 7 through 9. The Lord, the God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred, and who spoke to me and swore to me, to your offspring I will give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. Abraham says, don't bring my son there, because he's concerned that if my son travels this huge distance, and then meets some of our family, and finds a wife, he may just want to settle there, and be with that family and his wife's new relatives and and not make the journey all the way back to the land of Canaan. But Abraham's got this promise in mind again of the promised land. God said, this is going to be your land and I'm going to make your descendants as numerous as the stars. And so Abraham does not want Isaac to go back there and be personally tempted to stay and settle in Haran, but to continue in faith towards this promise God had made. So, Abraham says to his servant, kind of in a sense, he says, Remember where God has brought us. He reminds Eliezer of the journey that they'd been on and the, and the promises God had made about this land. And the second thing we see there is Abraham reminding his servant, God has already provided. God has already provided. That was his perspective. Okay? And remember, the servant was probably there because it says there were servants when. Abraham offered up Isaac, and they journeyed to the mountain. He brought a few servants with him. And he left them at the base of the mountain and went up to offer this sacrifice. And he said to the servants when he was leaving, he said, we will come back. So Eliezer has seen Abraham's faith before, demonstrated. And here, Abraham is reminding him, no, trust that God has already provided he tells Eliezer in faith, God will send his angel before you and you shall, this is like a term meaning expectation for it to happen, you shall take a wife. And in a sense, the next couple of verses to offer some kind of relief to the servant, he says, if by some chance, and I don't think Abraham believes this will happen, but he says, if by some chance the, the wife will not come back with you, you're relieved of your vow. Okay? So moving on, we see the servant's journey. And we see a prayer offered in faith. Verses 12 through 14. I want to go there. Verse 12, and he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show your steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink. And who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. By this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. So we see a personal prayer from this servant, who's probably seen this example from Abraham, you know, with a specific request for God to do something. A bold and specific request. And I want you to notice just a couple interesting things about that text. He didn't just ask of God, he prepared Okay, He went to the well, which would be the common place for, in the community where women would come, and he set up there, and then he made his specific request to God, asking that that woman would come to the well, and that woman would water his camels, not just give him water. Okay, He asked for success based on his master's request to him, He asked that the woman God chose would not only give this stranger water, but would offer water to his camels. And there's an important thing to note here. The custom of the day was, if a weary traveler comes, you offer them water, but you are not bound to water their animals. Okay, and we read in the story, the servant took ten camels with him. We know camels hold a lot of water. They've gone on a long journey now, and they've arrived in Haran. And so these camels probably consume a lot of water. So it was no light task. I mean, this was a big job to ask of in a prayer request that this woman offer to water 10 camels after watering him. She probably had other chores or families wondering where she's at. I mean, you get the idea here. So this was a big request, a specific request before God to help Eliezer know this was the wife for Isaac. Um, when we were living in Missouri, uh, going through training with New Tribes Mission, I think I shared with you a story a while ago of Ben um, praying for a chance to go to a water park. And we had no money. We were living on an extremely tight budget. And the Lord provided. um, He prayed with our family, and he prayed about that. And then the Lord provided money for um, us to be able to go do that. But I wanted to share another story that happened around that same time um, I had a few accidents while we were there. Thankfully, they had what's called student accident insurance during our time there, the year we lived there. I think I went to the hospital three times. <laughs> anyway, um, what happened was there was a deductible, and the deductible was, I think, like $120, and we did not have that money. And so when I got this bill for the deductible from my trip to the hospital or whatever, um, we prayed about it as a family. We were like, Lord, we don't have the money for this. God, will you please provide a way for us to pay this bill? I kid you not, within two or three days, we received an envelope in the mail for the exact amount of money that that bill was from a friend over here that would have had, in Michigan, that would have had no idea what was going on in our lives. Okay? Pray specifically pray boldly, God hears, God cares, and He will answer your prayer. And that's what the servant did here. He prayed specifically, he prayed boldly, he prepared for God to answer his request. So we move on, verses 15 through 61, and we're going to kind of breeze over this large chunk of text to see God's provision and the servant's praise. Okay? The first thing we notice in the passage is that she meets the criteria. When Rebecca comes, she meets the criteria. And this was a direct answer to Eliezer's prayer. Let's look at verses 19 through 20. Okay. When she had finished giving him a drink, okay, Rebecca had come, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. I'm not just going to offer them one drink. I'm going to water them until they've finished drinking, till they've drank their fill, all ten camels. There's, that's showing a servant's heart here, okay? So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well to draw water, and she drew for all his camels. This is an impressive act of service. This demonstrates a little bit of Rebecca's character here, okay? Um, she meets the criteria. It was a direct answer to Eliezer's prayer because she watered the camels also, but it was also an answer in the sense of looking for a woman with godly character. And we see that in the sense that she, she went beyond expectation in serving him. We see after that, in verse, I think it's 21 or 25, when he finds out that she is from the line of Abraham, uh, she invites him to her house and she offers grain and food for her camels as well. So she keeps going beyond expectation. We see a servant's heart. We see a humble heart. When Eliezer saw her, it says that he, he observed her. And there's a couple things that are noted within the passage. When he saw her coming, he observed her. And it says she was a beautiful virgin. Okay? And he observed that servant's heart. The other thing that we find out that she meets the criteria is the fact that she is a granddaughter of Abraham's brother, Nahor. And so Abraham finds this out. I mean, sorry, the servant, Eliezer, discovers this. And he is so excited. God has answered his prayer. He's gone beyond his expectation. And here is Rebekah from the same family line. I mean, he just journeyed to this town and set up at the well. And it just so happens that a daughter of Nahor, granddaughter of Nahor, comes out and fulfills all those expectations that he had prayed in his prayer God. So Eliezer's reaction is to praise God, and I think we should note that. Verse 26, the man bowed his head and worshiped the Lord and said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master, Abraham, who has not forsaken his steadfast love and his faithfulness. God is faithful toward my master. As for me, the Lord has led me in the way to the house of my master's kinsmen. He's remembering this. God has led me here. And so after that, what we see unfold is he meets with the family and he shares the story of all that God has done with them. And he's excited about this and he shares how, how Abraham sent him and how he prayed specifically and how um, Rebecca came and it was an answer to all of that criteria and an answer to his prayer. And uh, in verse 45, I just thought we should note this verse, it says, Before I, when he's talking about when he was praying to God about a specific kind of woman and what she would do, It says, before I had finished speaking in my heart. I think that's important to note. In the servant's example of prayer here, it's not just words that he was saying. It was coming from his heart. It was a heart relationship with God. Okay, before I finished speaking in my heart, in his prayer, behold, Rebecca came out with her jar of water on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew me water. Okay, so we see that personal relationship between Eliezer and God and this heartfelt prayer. And he's sharing this story back to Rebekah's family. And he's excited about what God has done and how he's answered prayer. And in 48, um, verse 48, he says, Then I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way. So he again emphasizes the fact that God had led him to this place. God has specifically answered his prayers, and so he's giving this testimony, and he shares how he worshipped the Lord, believing that God had answered his prayer. And he shares this with the family, and so then we see the family confirm God's sovereignty in all of this. God has been sovereign; He's been working all of the pieces together because God is God who provides. God is a God who answers prayer, and so the family affirms the testimony that Eliezer has just given. We see that verse fifty. Then Laban. It's interesting to note this. Um, Laban is Rebecca's, I forget if this is cousin or brother. Um, later on, we see with Jacob, right, where um, he goes and he works for wives, Rachel and Leah. And works for Laban. Okay, so we see a connection here as well in the future. Um, but anyway, here in this passage then Laban and Bethuel answered the Lord and said, Answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord, and we cannot speak to you, bad or good. It's like, this is obviously from the Lord. What are we to say yes or no to it about? Okay, it's obviously from the Lord. Okay, behold, Rebecca is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. So they say, this is obviously from the Lord, and then the family gives consent to the whole matter. I'm going to move on over here. For those of you who like to take notes... Actually, we were right. Okay. Um, okay. So the family gives consent, and the third thing we see, and this is important, verses fifty-six through fifty-nine. Um, they asked him to stay for a little extra time, but the servant says, "Don't delay me. I need to fulfill my master's request as soon as possible and get back on my journey." Right? And he says to him, "Do not delay me, since the Lord has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master." 57, they said, let us call the young woman and ask her. And they called Rebekah and said to her, will you go with this man? She said, I will go. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men, and they blessed Rebekah and sent her. Okay, Rebekah chooses to go with this stranger to marry a complete stranger. And so there's an act of faith here on Rebekah's part as well, as God has been orchestrating all of this. And it's important to note that. The other thing that's important to see is God has been interacting not only with Abraham, but he'd been preparing all of this because uh, I noticed this. Back in Genesis 22, verse 17, it says this. Uh, God is talking to Abraham and he says, "...I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore." and your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. You note that? Now listen to what Nahor's um, family says when they give a blessing, okay, 500 miles apart, when they give a blessing to Rebekah. Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands, and may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. God's been... God's been working in this whole family. And the same, the same perspective of what God is doing was on their hearts as it was back in Abraham's family. God has spoke to Abraham and God has spoke to Nahor's family in the same way. He had prepared all of this, and it's really cool to catch that. The last part of the passage, we see a perfect union. Verses 62 through 67. Okay? Okay? And we're just going to briefly touch on this. Verse 62. Now Isaac had returned from Roy and was dwelling in the Negev. And Isaac went out to meditate in the field toward evening. And he lifted his eyes. Okay, so he's spending some time with the Lord. He lifted his eyes and saw, and behold, there were camels coming. Eleazar and Rebekah and her servants have made it back on this journey. And this probably was, I mean, over the course of six, eight months. Remember how we talked about that journey being a three, four-month long journey? Okay? So it's been a long time in waiting. And he looks up, and he sees the camel coming, and he said to his servant, Who's this man walking? Sorry, I skipped something. Um, And he lifted his eyes, saw, and behold, there were camels coming. And then now we're on the other side of the viewpoint. And Rebecca, who's riding on a camel, lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from the camel and said to the servant, Who is this man walking in the field to meet us? The servant said, It is my master. So she took her veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. Then Isaac brought her into the tent of Sarah's master and took Rebecca, and she became his wife. And he loved her, so Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. Her reaction, Rebecca's reaction upon seeing Isaac, was according to the custom of the day, but it was also a display of faith because it was customary to dismount your camel out of respect. You know, as, as she finds out from the servant, okay, this is my future husband, all right? Um, but also we see a second thing that she did. She put a veil over her face, which was a signal that she is calling herself a bride, anticipating marriage, Okay? So in faith, she is showing Isaac as he comes to her and they meet for the first time. I'm here to marry you by faith, even though I don't know you from Adam. You know what I mean? Just a beautiful picture. And Isaac loved Rebecca. She comforted him. And this is one of the best examples we see in Scripture of a pure and monogamous marriage. One husband, one wife, no concubines, nothing else. A beautiful marriage between them. And so it's important to note for parents who may have pre-teens or teens coming, this is a great passage, a great example for us as parents of how to handle the whole area of relationships and dating, what to look for in a godly wife, um, how to help our children um, know what to look for and set a specific criteria and pray about a future wife. Okay, a great example here. However, today, I don't want us to miss, what I want our focus to be is on The example of faith and prayer that Abraham and his servant set for us. Time and again, Abraham has shown us that demonstrating our faith in God means not just believing God is sovereign, almighty, and completely capable of accomplishing all that he desires, but it also means acting upon that belief. Just going back, remember, Abraham left his home and journeyed to an unfamiliar land. Abraham prepared an altar and raised the knife. Abraham sent his servant to find a wife for Isaac, believing God's angel was already before them. The servant prays specifically for an answer and set up at the well. So in all these passages we see that not only are they mentally having faith in God, they are acting that out in their behavior. Okay, faith is an action. Okay, some people can talk all day about having faith in God, but when But when it comes to it in real life, they're not doing anything to show faith in God. We want to be people who are acting in faith towards God. If you remember our theme verse, if you remember our theme verse, "Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, because he who comes to Him must believe that He is, and listen to this that He is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him." The word "earnestly" there means diligently, with study or consistent application. And to seek him means to strive after, endeavor for, to follow after, to crave. And so here we see in in this passage about faith that it's about earnestly seeking God in our daily lives. And that is where faith bears its fruit. I want to be careful this morning not to promote to you a works-based gospel. Not to say to you that if you do a certain thing, Or follow a certain formula that God is going to all of a sudden pour out specific blessings on your life based on those actions. I want to be careful of that because we all recognize we're fallen and broken creatures. We're incapable of walking by faith on our own. Ephesians 3.20 reminds us God is able to do far more than we ask or imagine because of His power that is at work within us. It is because we belong to Jesus Christ. It is because he is at work in us that we are able to walk by faith and put action to our words. And we need to remember that today. So how do we demonstrate faith that God will provide? Kind of our application for the day. I just want to take you to a couple passages. First of all, pray specifically. We saw that example from Eliezer. Pray specifically. Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. Let me read that to you. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. Okay, the disciples previously to this. They'd walked by this fig tree. It had no fruit. Jesus was upset about it. He cursed the fig tree. They walked by it again, and boom, it's dead. Okay? And they saw it withered away at the roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Pray specifically. Next thing I want you to note is believe that God will answer. That was also hit on that passage, but I want to take you to James. Believe that God will answer. James chapter 1, verses 5-7. through 7. If any of you lacks wisdom, okay, here's a specific request. I want wisdom. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. When we pray in faith, we've got to believe that God is able and willing and desiring to answer our requests if this is according to his will. Okay, that is the act of faith in prayer. The third thing, act on our faith. This is also noted in the book of James because James finds it really important to emphasize the fact that as Christians, if we are not living out what we say with our mouths, then we shouldn't call ourselves believers. We shouldn't call ourselves Christians. He says faith without works is dead. It is useless. And so just like the example we've seen from Abraham's life, we need to act on our faith. Not just speak bold words, but act on it. I was thinking about this. Um, How many of you have done a trust fall before? Anybody here done that? Okay. I can stand up here, and I can surround myself with with some of you guys, and I can say, you know, okay, I I need to fall backwards into your arms. Yeah, I trust you guys. I'm not sure you're completely capable of catching me, though, so I'm not going to fall. You get the idea. I can say that I trust Jason, but if I'm not willing to lean back and fall into his arms, into those other guys' arms, then my faith is meaningless. My words are meaningless. It has to be followed by action that demonstrates my faith. We need to be willing to act on our faith, and that's what James was getting at. We demonstrate our true faith in God by acting on it, by living it out. And in our prayer life, When we pray and ask of God, we need to show that we believe He will answer by the way we act and by the way we live. Maybe that means we just don't go out and try to solve the problem ourselves, but we have to wait for God. Sometimes we just lack the patience to wait for Him. Maybe that means, if you want to quit smoking, that the first step is to throw the cigarettes out and not keep the pack available to you. You know what I mean? There's a demonstration here that, Lord, I want to stop smoking. There's a demonstration that I'm going to make some effort to do this. Okay? Some people have a perspective that we can rub this magic God genie and he's going to come out and he's going to just cure us and solve our problems without us having to make any effort on our own. But that's not what the journey of faith is about. The journey of faith is about acting and demonstrating our faith in God and then he provides the strength through Christ and the power through Christ for us to overcome that problem or for us to walk in faith as he answers that prayer. And the fourth thing is seek him. And I'm going to take you to 1 John five fourteen through 15 And this is the confidence that we have towards him, that if we ask anything, catch this, according to his will, he will hear us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests we asked of him. We talked about that Hebrews verse where it talks about earnestly seeking him, okay? If we are close to the Father's heart, we are going to be praying in alignment with his will and his desire for our life. And therefore, God is going to answer our requests because they are in line with his will and his ultimate plan. Sometimes we can just selfishly go to God with our own ideas and pray and, and, and wonder why he's not answering them. Well, have we been seeking God? Have we been talking to him and, and, and getting a sense of his heart and knowing if this is even good for us or if this is God's direction for our lives? Are we just trying to go our way and ask for God's blessing along it? Okay, so there's an idea here in prayer that we seek him. And as we're close to his heart, we are already thinking about his will. And as we pray about the things in our lives, they are going to be in line with his will, and therefore God is going to come alongside and answer those according to his purposes. So pray specifically, believe that God will answer, act on our faith, and seek him. I thought today, I know Keith, you're in charge of our our prayer time today. I thought it would be really neat as we, um, after we share, hopefully, personal requests, I want you to feel free as a church family to share things that are on your heart that we can pray about as a church family. And I would love if we could kind of surround in a group and hold hands today and just pray specifically specifically for this church, the ministries of this church, for the personal requests that are shared, and make this an intimate time together as a church family. Can I ask that of you guys? Yeah? Fair enough? Okay. Let me close in prayer. Father God, thank you for the time in your word today. Lord, it has challenged my own heart and my own prayer life and my own faith again, and and, and my prayer is that it has for everyone here. God, we thank you that you are sovereign, you are in control. We thank you that you love us, and that Christ gives us the power to walk by faith. We ask that you would help us to pray with faith, to act on it, and to seek you daily in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.